Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, your host, and I have the wonderful privilege of being here with Dr. Kathy Cavanaugh, who is the Chief Experience Officer in Research Science in the Lastinger Center for Learning at the University of Florida. She's previously held roles at Microsoft and has had educational experiences and leadership roles all around the world, from Australia to the Middle East, the Caribbean, and was a Fulbright Scholar in Nepal and has just a wonderful background and a very accomplished career. And I'm very excited to have her on the show today. And I have to thank Abraham DeWeese for introducing me to her and to making this a reality. Just for you out there listening, you have to know that Abraham's been a major champion in this show moving forward. And I was telling Kathy as we were preparing that Abraham has this sixth sense to know every time I've been hesitant or lacking confidence and wanting to kind of give up or move in a different direction. And he always reaches out and gives me encouragement and is a true model of everything we're talking about and helping people move along in a positive direction. So just want to give him a shout out and honor him for his role and keeping this show alive. Well, welcome, Kathy. I'm glad to have you today. Thanks so much, Keith. I'm really excited to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. Well, you just have the wonderful background. I really want to start with your role at the Lastinger Center because I just think the work you're doing there is important and has such meaning and especially some great ties to servant leadership. And a description of the Lastinger Center is that the Lastinger Center works to create equitable educational systems where every child and educator, regardless of circumstances, experiences high quality learning every day to support children's achievement of critical milestones that are predictive of success in school and life. Our research shows that a child who is ready for kindergarten, routine proficient by the third grade, and confident in algebra by the ninth grade experience the most success later in life. And we were discussing a little bit earlier about how some people have a greater propensity to have that as a reality. And others, that's much more challenging to have those situations align in their life where they can have success. And so under the theme of servant leadership, how do you work to make that group of people larger than what is already occurring? Thanks for that question. And we we agree with you that the work that the Lastinger Center is doing is, is incredibly important. And it's a group of professionals, hundreds over time, um, who've been working for 20 years to solve some of these problems in education in the U.S. So I want to credit all of them for getting us to the point where we are today. So you're right. A student in school and a child and a family has different access from one across town to learning opportunities. And so what we want to be able to do is to provide teachers for each of those children throughout their learning experience who can give them the supports that they need and the inspiration that they need to achieve at those milestones, which will put them on a path to success beyond that. So all of our programs are focused on teachers and leaders, on educators in different settings. We have a range of programs in early learning. We have programs for early literacy. We have programs in math and leadership. And so we try to think systemically to provide qualified, prepared educators. And, you know, an educator might be in their field for for decades and knowledge changes. And so it's not just come through a program and, and you're set for life. None of us is set for life knowing what we know today. We need to keep learning. And so we want to provide opportunities for educators to continue learning the best science of of education and science of reading that's out there and available. And we want that to be available to any teacher at no cost to the teacher. So, you know, we put together high quality programs and make them as widely available as possible. And we also build tools that those teachers can use with their students. So research-based 
effective learning tools that are also available as accessibly as possible. That's kind of our approach. We, we put teachers at the center. That's wonderful. And I think more programs are needed to put teachers at the center. And we often hear so much about how thin teachers are stretched and how much work they have to do and how much oftentimes the resources come out of their own pocket. And Mm -hmm. we know that a lot of teachers don't get paid a high salary. And so everything has a compounding effect on how it hurts their quality of life and then takes away their energy to focus on the student, which is also super important for this to move forward. And so how do you build such a wonderful program and then offer it to these teachers with no cost? We contract with agencies like school districts or state departments of education, also look for philanthropic funding. So there are lots of organizations out there that share the same interests that we do. So we bring together funding from dozens of different sources to create the programs and sustain them and make them available. So, you know, we look for partnerships, essentially. It's it's all about partnership building with the organizations that have the same goals that we do and organizations that want to provide the services and the programs to teachers. So we have, I would say, probably hundreds of partnerships. It takes a lot of partnerships and collaboration to make all of this happen. Yeah, I agree. And I love that partnerships and collaboration is the key to success in many realms. And for all of you out there listening, if your organizations are looking for ways to make a better influence or impact in the world. You heard it here. There's ways to create partnerships to get out into the schools and give teachers greater resources. So I invite you and your organizations to think a little bit more deeply about how you can influence the broader world around you through expanding your partnerships. And the Lastinger Center is definitely one of those that I would encourage you to look at. I listened to an interview that you gave with one of my classmates for a different course And you talked about in your hiring process, you look for the attributes of collegiality and collaboration, the skills that you're always looking for. Why are those skills so important to you in in your work at the Lastinger Center? I think, you know, throughout my 40 years in education, there's no organization, there's no role in which an individual can do everything himself, herself, herself. So, you know, we always need to be working with others to accomplish a substantial impact. You know, even if it's in the classroom, teachers learn from each other. Certainly leaders in an organization need to work with their peers. They need to work with everyone in the organization and they need to work with partners. So um, that ability to work with other people within and beyond organizations is essential for individual thriving as well as the organizational flourishing. Just things, things don't get done without that capability. I totally agree. And I was talking with Thero in the episode previous to this about how too often we look at easy, definable traits like, do they have a degree or do they have this skill or, or do they have such and such? And far too few of times we look at how they fit with our culture, how they move with our organization, how they're a team player. And I love that focus on collaboration and collegiality to realize that you need team players. You need people that are going to work together. And I think as you explained it to Christine in your interview, that it takes the whole team to build these great products. And and I love how diverse your background is because I think that that lends itself to some experiences where you see the value of different viewpoints, the value of different thought processes. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about how your travels and experiences around the world have influenced that worldview? Mm, 
That's a really interesting question. I think that I, I hope that the more any of us talks to other people, the more that we can value what those people can bring just to learning and understanding of the world and then to the ability to get things done. At Microsoft, it's a very technical organization, clearly, but there are a lot of people who have English degrees and writing degrees and humanities degrees who think very differently from the way a technical person thinks. And those people stretch the conversations and stretch the, the considerations and, and stretch the sorts of ideas and the ways that we, we consider ideas. And so, you know, they bring richness to the, the organization. And in uh, the Last Air Center, we've got people from many, many different professions, technical, writing, education, they're subject matter experts, they're creators, and the best ideas come when there's a mix of them in the room because they, you know, they approach an idea from a different perspective and help to keep us grounded as well. So those of us who are, may not have been in an education background might not have a sense of how something will, will fly in a school, but those who have been in, in the classroom will keep us real. So, you know, we just need all of those perspectives. Yeah, I 100% agree with that and love how you phrased that and worded that together. And it's all about those perspectives because we don't have all the answers. And so the more we work with other people, the better the answer we can get. When I was at Gonzaga, one of the things that really attracted me to the Gonzaga's degree in organizational leadership was that they really approached leadership from a very diverse standpoint. They talked about how leadership pertained to the monks at monasteries. They talked mm -hmm. about how architecture pertains to leadership. They made us sit through an art class and listen to that artist explain to us how to build something and then talk about their viewpoints and leadership, why they were helping us create something. And it really just expanded how I viewed leadership, especially hearing from people that I would have never thought about how to lead an artist. Kind of like you said, these people with English degrees combined with tech people mm -hmm. and how they view the world so differently, even if they come from the same communities, they just have mm -hmm. diverse viewpoints. And if they come from greater sets of communities, the the diversity just gets greater. Mm -hmm. And what I really loved was the architecture class because it showed me that we can have all the right people, we can have all the right ideas, but if we build a space that's not conducive to the mm -hmm. flowing of those ideas or to the bringing people together to collaborate, we can break up our organization from the onset just by the way we build the space. And I think that's true physically, and it's true metaphorically as well. The way we build a space through our, the words we use, through the way we interact with people. And I just love those ideas about diversity. So I want to give you a couple of examples of how in our work, we think about students as leaders as well. So we have a, an application called Math Nation um, that students around the country have been using for about eight years to, for the algebra milestone that we talked about, but beyond that in mathematics. There's a component of it called the wall where students can post questions for other students to help. And if, if a student helps a peer with a question, they earn karma points that they can use to redeem for, for something. So it honors the ability of students to help each other, you know, to understand and identify with each other and empathize and, and you know, provide support. And it provides the context for that. And then in this new program that we're, that we're working on in the state of Florida, it's called New Worlds Reading. It's to provide books in homes for children who need books in their homes to be able to, to raise their reading levels. So that we're sending millions of books across the state of Florida every month, and we're putting um, support material in with those books to encourage children within the families to read together. 
So we're providing like some prompts and some discussion ideas and some ideas about how people can share reading and share a book, even if it might not be a book that someone chose, a sibling can read with a, a younger child or you know, talk about the book or ask about the book. So there, there are opportunities within families, certainly, for people to take on leadership that puts the, the person that they're leading at the center and their success as the goal. That's a phenomenal idea. And I'm, I'm glad to hear about it. And one of the themes that's really resonated with me in this doctor of education program that I'm in with Abraham and Christina is who we've talked about is that people often learn the most from the next closest novice. You don't learn from the experts, right? We're, we're often too afraid to ask the questions we need to ask to the experts. Even our professors, we, we take lots of notes, but we're not necessarily going to approach them all the time, but we are going to approach our peers and bounce ideas off of each other. And I found this to be true. The first class, I did it alone and I didn't really reach out for help. The second class, I joined the study group with Abraham, Christine, Alex, Leah, and, a couple, and Rodney and a couple other people, these wonderful influences that helped me we dissect these things and we, we talk about them. And I learned a lot more than I would have ever learned without that. And so this idea to not only bring people together to bridge them closer to the next nearest novice, but also to put the learner at the center, I think is a beautiful servant leader centered theme. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Well, one of the things that one of my professors at Gonzaga said, Dr. Larry Spears, he said, in our servant leadership courses at Gonzaga University, we are fond of using the phrase servant leader in training. This serves as a reminder that all of us are always servant leaders in training. And while there are no perfect servant leaders through our ongoing development and practice, we can become authentic servant leaders. So I love this idea that we're always servant leaders in training. So I'll start first by asking, how do you approach the people around you to continue to grow as a leader? Mm, To encourage them to continue to grow themselves as leaders? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Part of it is putting in place conditions and understanding the context and understanding each individual's past, present, and future visions of themselves to understand where, where there might be opportunities for each individual. And then thinking about scaffolding, you know, in education, we think about scaffolding a lot. What, what's the next step that someone can take that, that feels approachable and feels achievable? You know, you talked a little bit earlier about non-closure. You know, we want to be able to check something off and feel that we achieve something. I think we need to think in terms of micro milestones. You know, we're always learning, we're always progressing, but there's a next step. There's a next milestone. So we can have, we can have closure on the way to the next learning step. So I think we always need to be thinking in our organization about what are the next achievable steps that each person can take and that we can help each each person to take and to be ready for, and then to celebrate. You know, I think celebration within organizations, within projects is sometimes forgotten. And so I I credit some of my my recent leaders in different organizations for centralizing celebration and formalizing celebration as a way to give credit, but also to share. You know, it's a form of sharing and it's a form of helping others to learn and understand what has been achieved and what, and what it took to achieve something. So, so I think it's about conditions, putting in place conditions and understanding what the, the needs are to choose the conditions to put in place for each person's next stage of success. I love that. And I've observed over time in my role and even in the Coast Guard that when you find good, true servant leaders, they often are very resistant to celebrating their own successes. Mm. And so it can be very helpful to point them out 
for them and to honor them and to celebrate them, to show others and themselves the good work they're doing and how they're meeting those milestones. I'm naturally a very global thinker. And so oftentimes I have to remind myself that not everybody thinks so globally and is ready to just propel themselves to a long range goal. And they might need those micro milestones a lot more readily in their life. Mm -hmm. And I've had to change my own frame of reference a lot of times to help take smaller steps for others to help them get to that point. And at the same token, people have had to bring me down from my global vision. They'd be like, whoa, whoa, Keith, we need to start here before we can get way down there where you're looking. And it's very true. One of the things Thero talked about in this last episode with his son and his soccer training is he called it a virtuous cycle of Mm -hmm. training leads to being better on the field, which leads to his desire to be better, which leads to more training. And it creates this Mm -hmm. virtuous cycle. And we talked about how that starts with recognizing you're good at something. And that's what the celebration of success is. And I, I think that's so important to encourage people along in that virtuous cycle, because there's lulls in that training part of the cycle where we might get bogged down or feel like we're not moving along. And that's when it really takes a good leader to come lift somebody up or acknowledge them or move them along. And that takes really knowing people to realize Mm -hmm. when they're in a lull or when they need their own space or what type of encouragement they might need. And so how do you model your leadership towards the individual? Mm, I think that asking each person to, to share their goals and, and their path and getting to know them is crucial. And also asking them what they need periodically. You know, they understand themselves and they can share information that might not be visible or observable. And then asking them how things are going. So giving them that opportunity to say, you know, this is just not working or here's an idea. And sometimes that's new. You know, sometimes people haven't had that those questions asked of them by a leader. And so sometimes we need to talk about how we can, how we can approach those questions in a collegial way, in a way, you know, that will lead to, to everyone's success. But I think it's those conversations that are necessary and then triangulating what's heard in those conversations to what's observed. Because I think, you know, part of, part of the role of a leader is seeing something in someone that they don't see themselves. So putting all of that information together and then trying out some ideas you know, suggesting here, here's what I think would be useful to you or valuable for you. You know, how would you feel about this? How can we, how can we set you up for this to happen for you? You have to continually work together, you know, throughout, throughout those processes. And I think you, you know, you mentioned the, the bogging down stage sometimes um, that people reach. And so I think knowing individuals, but also just knowing kind of cycles of of progress in general and just how things tend to happen is helpful as well. And making those explicit. I was thinking when you were, when you were talking about that, about a project that I did for the ministry of education in Qatar, it was a group of people, diverse group of people whose job it was to create a digital skills framework for the country. And we were put in a a ballroom and given two days to come out with, with a framework, which was a challenge. And so we, you know, the the cycle of a project is you kind of get excited, you're inspired, ideas are flowing. And then you reach this point of sort of paralysis. You're not quite sure how to make sense of it. And then things come together and, you know, you you get to your goal. Sometimes it takes a while. It might not happen in two days. So we reached that point, like in the middle of the second day, where we were just trying to figure out how to get all that goodness distilled into a framework. And so, you know, my job as a leader was to say, this is a natural stage in a project. 
you know, this is not a problem. This is just how brains work. You know, we're trying to assimilate a lot of, a lot of information, integrate it and make sense of it. Can't necessarily be rushed, but if we have faith in our process and in each other, we'll get there. And we got there. So, you know, I think part of leadership is also that framing, building confidence that it might not feel good, but it's normal and it might not be avoidable, but it's actually necessary. So, you know, I think some, some of that's important as well. I love that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how a lot of times in a project, especially when we bring a diverse group of people together, you have a lot of good ideas, but you have to make a decision on which ideas you're going to focus on. And sometimes that can be challenging for people to realize their idea wasn't chosen. And it takes a, a good amount of humility to bury our pride a little bit and move along with the process. And I think leadership also has an a role to play there in helping people realize that their idea was good, that it just wasn't perfect for that situation. And then like, how do we help people get out of their own way sometimes and realize they're still part of the process, even though their main idea wasn't chosen. Mm -hmm. This conversation about ideas is tremendously important because ideas are essential for individual progress and organizational progress, but there is not typically a scenario in which every idea can be adopted, right? We need to find a balance between honoring the idea, acknowledging it, responding to it, and then explaining the decision related to the idea, whether it's adoption or putting it on the bulletin board for later, so that ideas won't be squashed. You know, we, we, want, we want people to, to feel comfortable and, and confident and excited to continue bringing their ideas and understand the reality of the context of, you know, we need ideas, but we we can't act on everything that just fragments and splinters us and we're running in a thousand directions. So but again, making the realities explicit and just being open about that during, during those processes, I think is essential. Yeah, I agree completely. And fostering an environment that allows for the growth of ideas is, is vital, but sometimes challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think too often we might think that we're open to other people's ideas and we can be focused on where we're trying to go and we can shut someone down. And so we have to be mindful of our own blinders to realize if we're moving too fast, that we're not taking the time to slow down and acknowledge other people so they can bring an idea to the table later. Because although that first idea might not have been one we accepted, their second, third, or fourth idea might be crucial to building that next stage. That's right. So how do we foster an environment I know you talked about collegiality and collaboration and honoring people, but how do we really invite people to feel that their ideas are valued? Mm -hmm. This is something that we're working on in our organization as we grow. When I started in 2020, we were 60 or 70 people, and now we're over 100. So growth has been really fast, and that changes the culture. And that means that we need to pause and reflect and pay more attention to, to these conversations. So we're opening up more channels for ideas um, because with a diverse group across ages and from different backgrounds and different cultures, people have different comfort levels with different channels of expression. So we've got some anonymous channels. We've got, you know, just open forum like Zoom meetings. We've got some Teams channels. We certainly have the sort of reporting structures. You know, you can talk to your manager or you can actually talk to anybody, but, you know, we have lots of different mechanisms where we invite people to share ideas, suggestions, and questions. And then this is also something that we're continually working on, but we always try to respond and acknowledge and then explain the decisions that were made or the, you know, the next steps 
that are planned and continue to have open conversations about that. So leaders have to just make sure that they take the time. And sometimes you're right. We get focused on what's the next thing that we need to do, but we always need to be stopping and taking the time to honor and celebrate and acknowledge the, the ideas and the, and the people that we're working with. Yeah. I love that idea that we need to take the time. Mm-hmm. And I shared with Thero in a, a recent episode of a different podcast called Fireside by Blair Hodges. He was talking to a theologian from, I think, Scotland. I might be wrong, but a very interesting conversation about how different time is for different cultures and for people with disabilities mm-hmm. and how time can mean different things. And he said he, he read an article or heard something where it said, in the time of Jesus, Jesus walked at three miles an hour. And Jesus is love. So love has a speed and it's three miles an hour. So love is slow. And I think there's an attribute. We don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about love in organizations a lot, but servant leadership really is love. It's love for people. It's love for our organizations. It's really caring that we're going to create the best versions of ourselves, of the people around us and of our organizations. And that really is an expression of love in my opinion but it takes time. You know, you have to take those steps and be methodical. One of the things I've come back to this article multiple times throughout the podcast by Sen Sinjaya. And he says, when employees have positive supportive experiences with the leader, they are more likely to place their trust in them. And I think intellectually, many of us can realize that's a true statement and it's easy to say, oh yeah, I agree with that. But how do we make that a reality? How do we create these positive experiences So people can place their trust in us as leaders. I think that it's kind of like what we're doing right now. We need to make the space to focus on each other, hear each other, tell the other person that you're heard, and then talk about the next thing. What happens next? You know, it can't just be, it can't just be one way. The conversations have to be multidirectional and more overt than maybe we're naturally comfortable with, right? I I mentioned explicit a couple of times, you know, I think in in silence, assumptions bloom. And so someone I was talking to yesterday said humans are meaning making machines. So if there's not meaning expressed and there's not meaning communicated, then we'll make some meaning. We'll, we'll just make meaning and it may or may not be the meaning that's, that's healthy. So it's another way of making time, which is communicating and expressing the background behind decisions, understandings about next steps, ways in which people have opportunities to engage and contribute. So it's just, sometimes it feels like over-communicating, but you know, people are busy and not everyone is receiving and has the time in their day of what they're trying to accomplish to stop and hear every message that's coming to them and absorb it. So, you know, we as leaders need to make sure that we're communicating as clearly and in in different channels so that those channels can, can reach as many people as possible. I love that thought. And it's so important to create a space that allows dialogue, I think. And too often we we get too focused and we don't think about dialogue as being so crucial to the process. And one of the things that's always resonated with me, and maybe because it's true to me, is that I've heard it said in different locations and in different ways, but the overall theme was in every culture and every language, one of the favorite words for everyone to hear is their name. Mm-hmm. And And it means that we just like to be acknowledged. We like to be recognized as part of that dialogue process. And you're absolutely right. If we, if we aren't, we're going to create a meaning that oftentimes is not very healthy and doesn't help the process and might actually thwart future dialogue and ruin us from moving forward. 
when as a leader, we might've thought everything was good, was moving perfectly. And we come back and a month later, we're all derailed and we have to take extra time to build the process back up. But we need to be open about that as well. You know, where we, where we have made mistakes, where we have not communicated clearly, you know, where we might not have accounted for all of the information, we need to be open about that, you know, because it's never perfect. It's always, we're always hopefully trying to improve, but we need to do that in the open as well. Oh, I completely agree. And owning our mistakes is super important to leadership and also admitting when we don't know something, because hmm. that if there's something people can see through right away, it's when we try to pretend we know something we don't and people can see through that and that kills all credibility and it will hurt you long-term. I loved one of the discussions you had with Christine about what you learned from a design that failed, because that's what you focus on now is a lot of curriculum design. And Mm -hmm. you said you learned from a design that failed that you made too many assumptions and there was a lack of role clarity. And I think about that from a leadership standpoint and servant leadership. And too often, I feel that we make too many assumptions about the people around us or the people we interact with. And sometimes we don't set people up for success by giving them a defined role and allowing them to grow where they need to grow. And so how would you take those lessons from a design that failed and then use them in your leadership experiences? Yeah. So I think that just like in teaching, a teacher is continually recalibrating what she's doing because students' needs are continually changing. That's the nature of it. That's what teaching is about, helping students to be in a different place today than they were yesterday. And so I think there's definite parallels with leadership. You know, we need to continue recalibrating, even if we're just talking about how we work with with a single individual. And so that's why asking a lot of questions, I think is a piece of it. Something else that we've done to provide or that we're thinking through right now to provide more role clarity and remove assumptions about the nature of the work that individuals do comes from a norm that we have called lifting each other up in our organization, especially in times of need. And right now, in year three of COVID, we are in a time of need. And so, you know, we understand that both due to illness and due to the stress of the world, there are times when our colleagues might need to be away from work and they might not be able to plan those times. And so for their well-being, we want to make sure that someone else in the organization is very clear about their role and their work so that if they need to be out, they can focus on themselves and recovery and what they need to be focused on and not worry about what's happening at work because they've created that clarity with their colleagues because through leadership, they have that clarity about their own role and what they're doing. And that will also remove assumptions that that would be made in the void if someone is out and they haven't created that kind of partnership and the documentation so that that clarity continues. So that clarity takes different forms. But this is one that we that we're prioritizing right now for everyone's well-being. And you know, when, when someone comes back from being away, they don't want to come into a situation where nothing happened, and you know, they're they're still kind of at the tail end of recovery, and they need to catch up. We want them to come back with confidence that someone understood their work clearly and was able to continue it. Some wonderful thoughts there. And one thing that I've observed talking to people on this podcast is just how much of a toll COVID has taken mm-hmm. on our society. I see it here in Mexico quite a bit as different people react to it. You see different countries doing different things. Society 
is all over the place with how they talk about it. And too often, I think we have conversations that are unhelpful about COVID. But one of the things I really love about where COVID has taken us is it's opened up a wider dialogue about mental health. And Mm -hmm. it's really made us more accepting to realize we have to do things differently than Mm -hmm. we've done in the past. We have to look at people and what they need to be the best versions of themselves. And I have to say, if that was the only thing that we learned from COVID, maybe it was a valuable experience because that conversation is long overdue. And I'm really glad that we're having it in a way that's productive to our organizations, to our people. And too often, I think in the past, we looked at our culture and we would just easily say someone wasn't a cultural fit where it could have just been a life event going on that we were, we failed to recognize. And that was another thing I loved about that podcast about how time related to people with disabilities. And it talked about, especially people with Alzheimer's or dementia and how we view their existence oftentimes from a healthy standpoint is is sad and unproductive. And if you just took the time to sit in time with them, you might see that their experience was different than the way we projected onto them. Mm -hmm. And that's true in so many realms. And we project far too often onto people and expect them to be at a point where they're not. So I love that conversation and anything else that you could add about where we can go from a leadership standpoint to create better and more helpful dialogue on that. I would love to hear. Hmm. You reminded me of a book that I started reading recently. It's an older book called Whistling Vivaldi. And one of the points in the book was as a leader, we make assumptions about what's happening with a gr- within a group. And in the Lastinger Center, we might make assumptions about what's happening within a group of teachers that we're working with based on some data that we get. But those are never correct. And we always, as much as possible, need to actually hear the perspectives of those people because their perspective won't be based on the, our program. It'll be based on their context and their experience. And that's something that we need to understand to be able to put in place the right conditions for success. So that's something that we as a center are working on getting better at spending time in the communities that we serve and hearing from from the people that we're working with and coming up with mechanisms to elevate their voices as we do our work. And again, it takes time, but it's space that we need to make. And so we're working on how we integrate practices like that within the, the flow of the work that we do. That's wonderful. And I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I always like to leave listeners with a challenge. And for this week's challenge, I would like to invite all of you listening to take time to look at the space that you've created. And if needed, like Dr. Kavanaugh said, recalibrate, recalibrate it so that it is a space that encourages and fosters healthy dialogue with the people that you work with. And look at that space, look at how it needs to be molded and changed and recalibrated to be a space that fosters collegiality and collaboration and great dialogue. Well, thanks so much for being here, Dr. Kavanaugh. Do you have any final thoughts to leave us with before we wrap up? No, but I appreciate the chance to just kind of articulate thinking, you know, that helps to solidify it when you're able to to talk through it with somebody else. So thank you. Thanks so much. And I have to say, I probably get more out of this podcast than anyone else, because I'm constantly thinking about the conversations that I've had and the things that I've learned from people and and these cross themes that continue to occur between different speakers. And it really helps me to realize that although we can be very diverse, we often are a lot more connected and closer aligned than we realize. And I love learning that. 
All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been another episode of That All Might Be Edified, discussions on servant leadership. Please share and rate and like and subscribe to the podcast so others might learn and hear from these wonderful voices that we're sharing with the world and have a wonderful day.